It's good to see you this morning. If you're visiting, I always wear a coat. So just know that I always come this uh, prepared to preach the Word of God. Now, the, the, the reality is that I brought my elbow pads because this morning we're going to be elbowing the enemy in the face. So we're going to be doing this as we read 1 John for in a second, we're in a series called God is Love. I hope if you're visiting that you feel at home. No matter where you are with the Lord, know that we are in imperfect people. All of us are imperfect people. And when we say yes to Jesus Christ, we enter into a journey together towards becoming more like him, the only perfect one, Jesus Christ. So I really hope that you feel at home. We've been looking at the letter of 1 John, this epistle, that the apostle John, the one whom God loved, he described himself that way because he knew God's love so personally. A really cool story of John and his competitive nature when it comes to knowing how much God loved him was when Jesus died and then he resurrected. News came to the apostles after the women saw the empty tomb in, in the Gospel of John, it said that literally John and Peter raced to the tomb from where they were. And it says the apostle whom Jesus loved got there first. So not only did he know how much he loved, uh, God loved him, but he also proved it by how fast he ran to the tomb that's free. So this is the author of 1 John. And this book is full of this word, love. This world says love is a lot of different things. Love is romantic. Love is about a bond between two people that have a lot of things in common. But God's love is different. We've been looking at that. This godly love is this Greek word agape. This word means unconditional love. No strings attached, just love, period. It's the love that God showed us when he sent Jesus Christ on earth not to condemn, but to save, to rescue us from paying the price that we, that our sin actually deserved. We've been looking at that. Let's recap real quick, and then we'll get into chapter four. So chapter one, we learned that God is light. So in him, there is no darkness at all. We grabbed a flashlight. We pointed at our hearts instead of pointing at all the things out there that are dark. We asked the question, what Darkness lives in me, and we learned how to release and confess our sin. We learned how to repent and turn from that sin, recognizing that that's not what God wants for us. And then thirdly, and most importantly, to receive this agape love, this unconditional love that God has for us. That was week one. Week two, we looked that this world loves other things but God. And that there's a desire also in us called our sinful nature that desires these things. We talked about three very exciting things. Anybody remember? I thought some of us would because that is stuff. We love the stuff of this world. We love sex. We love pleasure in that type of love. And we also love success. And we looked at how God calls us to desire him. And when we are in him, he alone satisfies all those things when we turn our lives over to him and receive his love. Last week, Sean talked to us that this journey that we are on, it's not only about believing, but it's about walking. It's about living out this love, receiving God's love, and then showing it to others, which leads us to week four, because last week, we learned that Sean's favorite word is and. 
And we're going to have to practice that again today because we're going to look at some true and false things that chapter 4 teaches us. Now, when I was in high school and uh, college, I did not like true or false questions, mostly because I knew when I was guessing, I had a 50-50. You know, I couldn't figure it out of the way. And also because absolute truths for me are hard, I prefer the gray areas. I prefer to explain myself or, or, or write in a short answer or a long essay what I think, my opinions and my take on things. It's just my personality. A lot of us in here are true or false people. It's black or white. There ain't no gray. I see some heads nodding. Okay, this morning, it's both. There is an and. Yes, we're going to talk about some things that are black and white, but we're also going to learn how to live in that gray because the reality is, y'all, this world is murky, choppy, waters. There is so much noise and tension and clash as we consume all of the messages that this world throws our way. And I believe that 1 John chapter 4 is the perfect healing balm that teaches us how to navigate those choppy Waters. When I was a kid living in Miami, we wouldn't go out when there was a lot of wind because we had a little, it wasn't little, it was a great 24-foot uh, boat. And so we would wait till the wind died down so that the waves could be lower so that we can navigate. Well, that's not our reality right now. There's waves, tall waves, they're crashing into one another, and there is a way to navigate the waters of our culture. So this morning, if you're a believer in Christ, I hope that you are encouraged and equipped to navigate those waters. And if you're checking Jesus out, know that this chapter exemplifies the Father's heart. It shows us that he loves and cares for us. And I need my Bible to preach, so thank you so much. Before we start with verse one, let's, let's pray. We thank you, God, for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together to read your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that something that is read this morning would penetrate our hearts, would show us your love, and would motivate us to change so that we can become more like you, Jesus. I thank you for every person sitting in this room. There is no accident, God, that the seat is filled with their presence. And so I pray, God, that you would meet every person here this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. John 1, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Starts with this word, beloved. This is John's heart. He's super emotional. He loves to talk about love and then shows love by the way he writes, beloved, do not believe every spirit. He's speaking to this local church, probably in Ephesus. We don't know exactly, but this is the early church right after Jesus goes about 30 years after the resurrection. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. 
Aren't you glad you came to church this morning to hear this incredible, encouraging, heartfelt message from the Word of God? Let's get real. It was real back then. It's real today. John is teaching us how to test what we see, what we read, what we hear. A lot of junior high, high school, college students, this is important not only for the adults but also for us because there's more messages coming your way than any other era in human history. More information as we scroll on our phones in 15 minutes than it used to take years to divulge a normal newspaper uh, uh, information in, in, in one day. We are barraged by messages. So testing is really important. That's the first thing this chapter teaches us how to do. It's test. And what are we testing? We're testing whether these things are from God, whether uh, to see whether they are from God. What are they? Well, there's three things that he's talking about. Spirit, false prophets, and antichrist. There's a book by uh, John Mark Comer. It just came out called Live No Lies. I haven't read it all, but I already recommend it. And he talks about three opponents that come against the peace that God has given in us. It's the devil, the flesh, and the world, the patterns of the world. And here's how they all come together. The devil is the father of lies. He was in the garden. He was, from the, he was there from the beginning, deceiving Eve to believe that God didn't want the best for her. He said, hey, don't worry. If you eat from that apple, you won't die. God just doesn't want you to be like him. He's withholding something from you. It's the father of lies. But then Eve, some desire in her, her sinful nature went that way, believed that lie, ate of the fruit, and then this pattern occurred. Adam ate of it too, and their kids and their grandkids, and all of us now are living in a world filled with these patterns that are anti-God. They're against the pattern that God has for us. There are three false truths that I want to identify today that we see in our world because back in John's time, the false prophets weren't out in the world. They were actually in the church. They believed inside of the church and in what they, or they believed that Jesus hadn't come in the flesh, that he was just spirit and that he maybe manifested himself in a person, but Jesus, the, the human being, wasn't fully man and fully God. And so that's who John is talking about here. And today, there's not a lot of people that would say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe that he was man. We have different iterations of false prophets, and one of these false truths is hedonism. I want to talk about three. Hedonism is the first one. And that is the one that says that the goal of life is my satisfaction and my pleasure. That life is just about me being happy, all things need to go well with me in order for things or for me to be good. Outside of the church, that may look obvious ways. Inside of the church, though, it exists also. Yes, the sex stuff and success that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, but also when pain and suffering go our way, we ask, well, things aren't going well for me. Why is this happening? God, if you are good, why do bad things happen to good people? I didn't deserve the, the circumstance that I'm living through 
right now, my friends, let's remember John 16, He says, in this world, Jesus is saying, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. God sent his son not to take the trouble away, but to give us his presence through the trouble. Hedonism is not true. Individualism is the second one. It's kind of like a step up. If I get so wrapped up on my satisfaction, I become fully consumed with what I want to achieve and do. Think about my rights, my freedom, my truth. So what happens? It separates every person into an isolated avenue. It's your truth versus your truth versus my truth, and in the church, this happens when we don't keep each other accountable. When we're not living in the light, when we think that we can go at this life alone, maybe just show up to church on Sunday morning or, or maybe just attend a community group, but withhold the very things that God is calling us to release and to grow from. See, we are not called to run this life alone, but we need one another. We need the Holy Spirit to activate others in our lives to call us up and out of the things of darkness and into the light. Individualism doesn't work. Individualism on steroids becomes relativism where there is now no absolute truth. All ways are good. And you may have heard this outside of the church. I'm not religious, I'm just spiritual. And that's a good answer because it means that we're seeking I said that in a season of my life because I was seeking. When you seek capital T truth, you realize that there are no contradictions when it comes to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And when we surrender our lives, when we deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow Jesus, we realize that there's no more satisfying way to live junior high students, high school students, listen to me for just a second. If you think, but my friends, I just wanna follow what, what everybody else is doing. I wanna show you that that's a pattern that is happening because there is no alternative. You could be that alternative as you follow Jesus. You could be the one that invites, hey, we're not going over there, we're gonna go do this here. And what happens when we start living life together in community, all of these coincidences start happening and you're like, oh my gosh, God is actually living like in my life. He's showing me things. You think of someone and they text you. you. You start talking about someone and then the next day you run into them randomly. That's the Holy Spirit of God showing that this life is meant to live on mission for him and his glory. Relativism doesn't stand on its head because truth is a moving target. There's only one truth, Jesus, and he is full of love for you and for me. Thank you for letting me go there. If this was a topical sermon, I would just stay right there and, and maybe talk about the armor of God and, and how we have the power to demolish spiritual strongholds as 1 Corinthians 10 teaches us. But my friends, when we read the Bible and when we teach exegetically, we see what the, the message of God is in context. And the reality is, is that those are only the first three verses of this chapter. The rest of the verses he speaks about something greater, and that is God's love. Verse four, little children, 
You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let me say that again. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He is the Holy Spirit of God living right here. So when we test these things that we are seeing, as we see the choppy waters, the first thing we got to ask is, is this from God? Is this from God or is this some false truth that maybe it's a pattern or, or maybe it's a way? And, and by the way, our battle is not against flesh. It's not against people. It's against the spiritual forces of darkness. It's spiritual, y'all. That is a whole series and a whole sermon and a whole workshop, but just believe me when I say it is spiritual. It's not against people. Last week, Sean talked about uh, uh, wearing a jersey and that here we wear a jersey that's a follower of Jesus or Christian. And in the back, it says our last names because we are all called children of God. And if this battle were a football field, the opposing team isn't. They're not humans. They're not people. They're not friends who hurt us. They're not parents and grandparents and family members that, that reject us or, or, or inflict pain upon us. No, no, no. It's these lies. It's the enemy that wants to confuse and deceive us. And the reality is, there's a lot of people on the sidelines that have yet to realize that they're on God's team. So it's our job as followers of Jesus to say, hey, there's a jersey with your last name on it. Come join. There's a play, and you play a beautiful part of that play so that you can score and win in this uh, verse says that even when we feel like ju a junior high football team playing against the Dallas Cowboys of last Sunday, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. There is nothing, no one that can stop the almighty God. He who is in you is greater. We have to remember that. They, verse 5, are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. He's speaking to these false prophets, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We need, my friends, to stop expecting people that have yet to call Jesus Lord and Savior to live Folks that don't know Jesus yet should be seeking after all of these things because they're not under the covering of Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's why the following verses, as I read this this week and I was convicted about how many messages I hear from different sources, news, social media, other things, I start, it starts chipping away at my hope and my optimism. And I have optimism, but, but it's just all over the place, and I start feeling weak, and I start forgetting that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, and that the rest of these verses talk about the love of God. Let me tell you something. 27 times we're about to read the word love in this chapter. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, that false prophets, antichrist, and spirits in one chapter is in the same uh, chapter as the chapter that mentions love the most out of all chapters in the Bible. Psalm 136 is second, and it repeats 
for his love endures forever, 26 times. So it's not very original. This one's a lot more diverse. And it teaches us that, yeah, we need to remember who is in us, but we also need to love first. That's how we navigate the waters we test. Is this from God? Is, is this source from the Lord or is it from somewhere else? The second thing that we do is we remember when we're in Christ that we have the Holy Spirit of God in us who is already greater, who already won. And then this third thing that we get to love first. We get to pursue first. Here's what I mean. Let's keep on reading. Verse 13. Nope, verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It doesn't say the inverse. It doesn't say that love is God. It says that God, the one that we worship, the one that came for you and for me, is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10 teaches us what this love is, and this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In this is love, not that we loved God, not that we chose to come to church this morning and say, God, I'm gonna love you and I'm gonna receive a blessing in return. Nope, he loved you before you woke up this morning. He woke you, he loved you before you came into the earth. God's love is the very force that created this world. His love for you and for me, nothing can separate us from that love. And it also says that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It means that he was the atoning sacrifice, that he covered all of our mistakes, all of our wrongdoings by his blood. That's good news for me this morning. I hope it is for you as well. And we have a God who did that for us. I want to read Exodus 34, 6 through 7, because God's love is present throughout the storyline of Scripture. This is the second book of the Bible, and this is the first time that this Scripture is read. This Scripture is repeated more than any other Scripture in the entire Bible, so it's hyperlinked in different episodes throughout the storyline of Scripture. And what it is, it is the character of God. Moses, in context, is about to see God. This verse in 1 John says that no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So Moses is about to see God, but God turns Moses away because he knows that he can't see and be in the glory of the living God. Otherwise, he would perish. Too imperfect, too perfect. They don't go together, zap. It's happened, it happened in the Bible. So bottom line is Moses turns his face. The Lord passes by. Moses doesn't see anything, but he hears this in verse six. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger 
and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. I believe this verse is repeated more than any other verse in the Bible because it envelops God's love. Highlighted six attributes of God's character in the following slide. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, steadfast love and faithfulness, and forgiveness. Sounds like a good God to me, but I know what you're thinking. What's up with the second half, Jose? But it will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Here's the deal. You and I, when we were born, we inherited the consequences of our parents' sin, our grandparents' sin, and our great-grandparents' sin. It's inside. It's this pattern that repeats. But Jesus came to break that pattern. The blood of Jesus Christ came to say, no more. Now, because you are my son and my daughter, you are a new creation. So when you are in Christ, that word guilty has no place in your life, in my life. We are free. That is the promise that we have in Jesus, the merciful, gracious, slow to anger and steadfast love and faithfulness and forgiving. You say, oh, Jose, there's a lot of passages in the Old Testament where God gets pretty angry. You're right, but he's slow to anger. If he was me or anybody, you know, us humans, he would have been a lot faster to grow anger. And the reason is, is that God continually forgives and continually reminds his covenant people to say, hey, I parted the waters for you and still you're gonna complain and you're gonna grumble and you're gonna turn against me. That's the story of the whole Old Testament is God's steadfast love in the people's rebellion. And it's not much different from my life and your life. We need the steadfast love of God continually poured out. And my hope as we close this uh, chapter that God's love would move you personally first, and then move you to love someone first. Verses 13 through 21, I'm gonna read them quite quickly because they uh, repeat a lot of these themes that we've already hit on. And I think it's important that we read them though because it hammers the importance, it hammers the message home that God is love. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. By this, meaning by how we love others, we know that Jesus is in us because he has given us his Holy Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world, not just the people who behave right. He came to save the whole world. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides or lives in him, and he lives in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, meaning God is agape. God is unconditional love, and whoever abides in that love abides in God means it lives in relationship with him, and God abides in him. By this, 
is love perfected with us so that may, we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Uh-oh, what does, that, what does that mean? Okay, here we go. Because as he is all, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. This judgment, Jesus came the first time to save. He came to give everybody a chance. But if you read the entire uh, Bible, you read in Revelation that Jesus is coming back and he is coming back to judge the living and the dead. So what that means, church, is that we need to get busy loving because if we don't show people that agape love of God, it's not gonna be good come judgment day. It's just a reality. It's not my opinion. It's not the opinion of this church. It's the opinion of the word of God that has been given to us, the truth that has been with us from the beginning of this earth. And when we are with Jesus, we don't have fear. Why? We already talked about it. There's no guilt. We're not punished. We're not going to be punished because we believe that Jesus Christ paid the price for the punishment that we deserve. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Test, spirit. Test, is this from God? What I'm reading, what I'm consuming, is this, is this from the Lord? Not that all we have to consume is from the Bible or, or don't, don't hear that, but I'm saying the things that we allow in here is this from God. Second is, do I, am I remembering that greater is he who is in me and he was in the world that he's already come to overcome the world that he has won. And this third one, am I loving first? I think this is the most challenging one because sometimes we don't agree, right? We don't think that someone is doing the right thing or acting the way we think they should. So our nature is to withhold love from that person. Let me just ask you something. What did Jesus do for you and for me? He didn't withhold love. He gave us his very life and paid the price of our sin in full. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you want to change the reality of this world and if you want hope to come in, then we get to be that hope in action as we love others first. I read this this week and I thought I'd share it from you. I read it from the internet, from social media. It's pretty good says, if your favorite news outlet stunts your desire to love your neighbor, regardless of partisan affiliation, it's pushing you away from the heart of Jesus, and it's time to turn it off. God is not slow to love. He's slow to anger. He's quick to love, and we get to follow him as we love others first. Be the first to send that text. Be the first to invite someone to coffee and say, hey, You've, you've just been in my heart. I just want to see how you're doing and just listen to them. Join them on the journey and fight the urge to be right and just be real and be Jesus with flesh on with them in that room and allow the Holy Spirit to change them because I've tried to convince and I think I know a lot about the way that God works and I fail. Why? Because it's not my job to change anybody. It's God's job. It's my job to love and spread his love here, and it's ours, all of ours, 
as well. So let's love first, my friends. And if maybe there's something in you that's like, well, I can't, I can't, I can't, I encourage you this morning to pray and, and release that to God and ask him for something radical. Ask him for his love for that person because he loves that person way more than you ever will. He died for that person. He came to save that person just like he came to save you and me. He is generous. He will give you his love for them, I promise. Are you willing to ask? Worship team, you can come back up. John 13, 34, 35, this is Jesus. Celebrating communion for the first time. We celebrated communion this morning. In the upper room, Jesus has his disciples and, and he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. We just read the end of chapter four. Very same words that John writes in the epistle are the words of Jesus. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So yes, let's test these sources. Is, are they from God? Yes, let's remember that we, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And yes, let's love first. And for some of us, we have an opportunity this morning to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Maybe if there was something in your heart that was stirred and, and, and you're seeing Jesus from a different perspective or a different light, know that he is love. He is agape. And he does come to shine a flashlight in our life. He wants the darkness gone. It is a narrow way. It's not all what we understand. It's a lot of things that go beyond our understanding. But he is good and he is faithful and he will love you forever. And so I encourage, if that's you, if you have not said yes to Jesus this morning, is a beautiful morning to do that as we finish and celebrate baptisms this morning. You don't need to say anything super special or fancy. All you need to say is, Jesus, yes, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you came and that you died for my sins and that your resurrection from the dead has given me everlasting life. I receive your free gift of love in Jesus' name. I said that for the very first time this morning. I encourage you to tell me, tell someone that you came with because you, like we talked earlier, are now a new creation. It's mysterious. The Holy Spirit of God inhabits those whom he calls sons and daughters and he gives us all a choice to run back to the one that has been running to us since the day that we were born. Let's pray.